It's time to stop healing and start demanding. It's time to stop being DC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get rid. Prepare yourself. It's time for crazy and kids. You want to go first or you want me to go first? Like, I, I mean, I got a lot, like some things. You ever seen that word before? A lot, quite to talk about, but we got little time to do it. Like, we got a lot on the plate. So much has been happening. But first and foremost, before we do all of that, you know, how's my pod partner? You all right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm good. I, I, I think we're both feeling a little bit like business is ramped way back up um, and we're getting busy again. And and that's the best feeling in the world. Also a little bit overwhelming, Um, but damn, I can't complain. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, we are officially in summer, so we're about to approach July, July 4th. Uh, We'll talk about that a little bit more uh, next week. Uh, I'm sure we'll probably have an interesting and special episode. I don't know what we can do. Something wild, but, but we'll talk about that. So, uh, we are officially in summer. The dog days of summer are approaching. Uh, I got a feeling, Julie, that this summer of 2020 is going to continue to do everything that 2020 has already done with this surprise. Like, absolutely. it's going. Like, I don't know what that surprise is going to be, but I absolutely feel like we are going to catch a surprise uh, this summer. So, so I'm just telling you, I don't you, think you should, should say catch. We're not going to catch anything. No viruses, no, nothing like that. All right. Got it. Got it. We're going to take catch out. <laughs> We're going to take catch out of the vocabulary. I got it. I got yeah, it. Yeah. I can get with that. I can get with that. So yeah, I do have some things I want to talk about. Uh, let's talk about today on the show, the administration's visa ban. Let's, uh, let's whisper about Goldman Sachs. You know, we don't want them big, big money boys here. Uh, <laughs> you know, we try to get our pockets big and fat like theirs, so we're just going to whisper a little bit about uh, Goldman Sachs. And, and then I'm doing a webinar with my dear friend. I call her the Empress. Uh, she calls her the Queendom, uh, Kimberly Jones out there uh, in California. So we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. So so let me kick it off with Goldman Sachs. Yeah, so yeah, let's go. I think um, what we've seen over the last several weeks has been remarkable. And I I hesitate to use the word remarkable given why we are seeing what it is that we're seeing. Like my uh, timeline has never been as black as it is over the last three or four weeks. And I'm not talking uh, participants and, you know, people that are contributing and, and being vocal. I'm talking everyone and their focus on the plight, the existence, the experience, the promise, the progress of Black people. And it has been such a refreshing, you know, just uh, a wash of, of information. And so, you know, hearing that Goldman Sachs and other financial institutions are taking a stand as it relates to DNI, uh, it was, it was, it was a wonderful thing. So, they got a message out right now, and um, what's her name? Katie Cock. She was actually inside of an interview with Yahoo News, and she basically, and the story really talks about how Goldman Sachs is really making a declaration 
they're doubling down and and simply saying as organizations you have to do something different around DNI. You cannot just talk about it in the midst of what is happening racial injustice, systemic racism, uh, systemic oppression. You have to do something different with your money. Uh, and what Goldman Sachs is saying simply is that if you don't start releasing the data, uh, the DNI data on your C-suite, on your leadership, and through other levels of the organization, they would not rule out selling shares in your organization as a way of holding that company accountable. I so, love that. I I think I love it. I mean, okay, here here's my my little paranoid self is I, I generally think of of Goldman Sachs and you know my kind of demeanor about corporate America, but I mean like they're the the devil of the devil, right? I mean it's like and you know making money is the reason that they exist and in, and in such a way that they've decimated, you know, parts of our economy and, and all kinds of things. And it's, I'm just still trying to wrap my head around why they're making this move. And they started in, in, you know, last year, uh, you mentioned to me as we were prepping for this podcast, not to forget that David Solomon really said, you know, Diversity has to be a part of of your business plan, a part of your board. If you want us to, you know, take you public in an IPO, and I just i I love it, and I but I doubt the altruistic motives of it. So I think that we should be cynical, but we should also be ready to leverage. Right when the money guys are ready to get behind diversity and inclusion, like that's when it's time to just go all in. But I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting uh, observation uh, because naturally they are uh, people that are concerned with that bottom line, dividends and returns for the shareholders. I absolutely get it. Uh, but I think that, you know, in this particular instance, when we think about the bastions in which, you know, diversity has not been a thing and Wall Street being one of those bastions, I think of the... Uh, uh, environment down here in Washington, D.C., the halls of Congress and the Senate, you know, another bastion of power. We've talked long and hard about the uh, the tech space, another bastion, if you will. I think we have these these areas and, and I'm just I'm, I'm optimistic in the sense that I believe that they can still make money. And do good, do good by way of representation. Do good by way of having more individuals on their boards of director. Uh, do good in all of the other ways that we've talked about DNI on our show at nauseum. And so, I I don't know. I don't I don't really I don't I don't think of it through the the lens of what's the what's the ulterior motive that there even has to be one. I'm willing to roll the dice and give them the benefit of the doubt on this one. As in, look. I just if I'm gonna put money behind you, if I'm gonna be an institutional investor in your organization, then I want you to do a better job of, you know, addressing inclusion and representation. I, I think about a book. I, I don't know if you've ever heard of this book, Ebony and Ivy. Uh, it's a book about race, slavery, and the troubled history of America's universities. Have you ever heard of that book, Ebony and Ivy? I have not. 
So basically, Julie, what it says is many of America's revered colleges and universities from Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Rutgers, Williams College, so many of them were soaked in the sweat, the tears, and sometimes the blood of Black people. And that these institutions were really built on, as with so much of America, built on the blacks, uh, backs of enslaved individuals. And, and so here it is, we built these institutions, uh, you know, some of the people that attended were able to bring their slaves to the college. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? So you're going to class, your slave is still there working for you, doing your clothing, your, you know, laundry, fixing meals, doing your homework, helping with home. I don't know, whatever. I don't know what it was like to be a damn slave. I'm just saying they were there, yet we couldn't benefit. And so when you start to look at all of these institutions to include financial services, I think it's high time, as they say, that people start making declarations. I think it's absolutely appropriate that Goldman and J.P. Morgan and BlackRock and some of the others, speaking of which, BlackRock's uh, CEO, Larry Fink, he put it in the annual statement back in 2018. We're going to hold you accountable because he said it in that letter to the shareholders, the annual letter to shareholders, December of 2018, this organization in five years is not going to look the way that it looks today. And so if, in fact, we're going to continue to be an organization that can attract high-performing talent, then we need to get ahead of this right now. And I'm holding you accountable if you are in leadership. I think it's beautiful. Wells Fargo made a statement this past week the same exact way. They're going to begin tying uh, executive pay to diversity numbers. Some people frown upon that. But bottom line is what gets measured gets done. You know that saying. Damn straight. So I just believe that. I believe I'm willing to give Goldman the benefit of the doubt that they are, they are in fact doing the right thing. So let's revisit this in a year right. and see if we have the same opinion. I hope that I have been proven fully wrong sure. and that they are seeing not just the the value of the the social impact, but they are also seeing the financial value because they're also, you know, even if they're not being um, altruistic or or fully transparent in their motives, they're taking the business case for diversity to an entirely new level. And as a diversity and inclusion professional, we should be able to build on their expectations and their success, right? So in a year, let's see how many, how much of, of the C-suite of the Fortune 500 are women of color, are white women, are men of color, and see if they're able to create the kind of systemic change that I'm hopeful that they can from the corporate ranks. Yeah, yeah. And to close out this, I just want to share, we'll, we'll put the link in. I'm not going to talk heavily about it. But there's a, a new initiative going on, very similar to what CEO Action is doing uh, in terms of getting signatories on to do more around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. There's a new initiative out. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when they were started, Jay, but it's Racial Justice Investing. And racialjusticeinvesting.org uh, is a group of investors, asset owners, and business leaders who are taking action for racial justice within 
within their own respective organizations. Uh, they're also looking at racial justice investing in engagements with portfolio companies. And more than 100 companies have signed on uh, to be a part of that initiative because the bottom line is they feel this, uh, once again, is not something that, that can be ignored any longer. And they really want to try to address the systemic racism that has been built into the system. And if you go to the site, racialjusticeinvesting.org, you'll find five calls to action. You'll probably find some of the organizations that you are familiar with. You might even find some organizations that you are partnered with, that your organization is partnered with. And if you're lucky, you'll find that the organization you work for has signed on to this initiative and said that eliminating systemic racism in the field of finance is important. So I'm encouraged that we are moving in the right direction. And I've said it and continue to say it, that we are in a point where we can absolutely make history. Yes. We just have to make sure that we are diligent. We are diligent and we do not get tired. And when we do get tired, we tap somebody on the shoulder, let them fight for us while we rejuvenate and rest up. But we got to keep going. We we can turn history in this moment. And I am so hopeful that we will. Yep. Well, I, for one, am not going to stop till we do. And absolutely. we just need more of us to have that mindset because it, it does feel like a just a fire. I, I just a, in a completely different way than I've ever experienced in, in my life. And obviously I'm white, so my experiences are different, but I grew up in a very diverse city. Um, and so I've seen the, the good and the bad that comes, you know, with the challenges of um, policing and those kind of things. And it feels different than anything I've ever been through. And, and I'm hopeful. And that's something I think for 2020 is really nice to have. And I think, Tori, it kind of leads your Goldman story and, and the conversation about change. It leads into it, into my story, which is probably some will be like, Julie, is that really a, a D&I um, story? But I really think that it is. And it has some really interesting societal implications for corporate America. So let me tell you. Okay. So I don't know if you saw, but this week, um, the Trump administration signed an executive order um, putting a temporary halt on certain types of visas. So they're really related to professional visas. So like H-1B visas that are used to bring in skilled workers to the United States uh, around tech, um, engineering, engineers, doctors, and others that are executive related, um, as well as, as their families or people who have a specialized knowledge, and even all the way down to your, your au pair, your nanny, for those of us that aren't that fancy, um, and summer camp counselors. And it also extended a temporary ban on new green cards through the end of 2020. Yeah, now that's interesting because normally when they put the bans in place, the bans didn't, well, at least to my knowledge, they didn't get outside of the tech space down to your nanny and some of the other stuff. Is there a reason why this one was different? I think that it's opportunistic. 
um, of an administration that is very anti-immigration with COVID and social unrest for them to say, we're going to stop these visas because we have an obligation to our citizens and creating employment for our, our citizens first. Um, the, the visa that was actually not impacted was the agricultural worker visa, which I believe is the H-2B visa. And so those are primarily um, people from Mexico, Honduras, El Salvador, coming from, from Latin America to work in, in the fields um, in the United States, harvesting our um, agricultural products during the fall or the late summer and the fall. Those thankfully have not been impacted which I think is is very interesting because it, it's always frustrated me that there are jobs that Americans won't do, um, even when we have um, people that need to work. And so, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> what? I can't let you slide by that too quickly. Wait a minute. Okay. You said it interests you because Americans won't do those jobs. So let me. This is this is me talking well, from my me, experience. Yeah, let me tell you why I'm asking because I'm asking based on my experience growing up in Iowa and doing corn detasseling. Detasseling, <laughs> yes. And yes, you get picked up by the bus and everything when you were a kid. You, so I'm going. I, I'm not even going to front on you. I mean, I'm pretty nice with my vocals. Uh, I'm decent on a computer keyboard, but if I was a different individual um, and I didn't have some of the skills that I had, I can tell you, man, that working out up under that sun, that's some hard work. It uh, is. So, so go ahead. I, I just wanted, I just yeah. want you know, <laughs> I think it's good for good measure that yes. some folks don't want to do uh, that work. And, and I, it's always a touchy conversation because I don't want people to hear me feeling as if or or walking away from my statement uh, with the understanding that I think they, whoever they is, should be doing the work. I'm really speaking for myself. Right. That's some yes. hard work. And I'm no, telling Lauren Ellis wouldn't want to be doing it. If it was what was an option for me, I'd be trying to find another option. That's what I'm trying to get across. Yes. No, it's it's incredibly difficult work. It pays for shit, let's be honest. And it is some of the most grueling work in this country. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they used to, it's a very Midwest thing, right? You'd have the, the high school kids who did corn detasseling during the summer. The bus would pick them up, drive them out. They'd detassel all day and then come back exhausted, dirty, and cut up. Um, yeah. You know, and... and I guess in, in more my experience from my younger years when I managed restaurants and that kind of thing, we really, I mean, I, I primarily hired people of color, Latinx and, and um, black people because they were willing to, to do the work, right? They were willing to, to join in in those jobs and help us uh, achieve our goals and, and, to be 100% honest, white people kind of turn their nose up at, you know, decent paying, not not minimum wage um, jobs that were more manual labor. So I guess maybe I have a little bit of a bias, but 
I've totally digressed from the point of this conversation. <laughs> and I did it on purpose because I want people to, to understand, you know, here we are, we call certain people lazy. We treat certain people as if they don't want to work, haven't worked when though some people have been working, you know, since forever. But go ahead. Yes. I'm sorry. I don't want to yes. take you no, off. No, you're yeah. you're right. That has never been my experience. Let, like, let me just say that as a person who's led teams, that's never been my experience. Um, and so really what what is happening, again, this is opportunistic. We've really slowed down immigration massively um, in this country um, since, you know, March. I think we've had less than about a thousand uh, HB1 visas approved, whereas in May of 2019, oh, I'm sorry, 143 visas were approved. Um, in May of 2019, a year earlier, was over 13,000 visas. And so I, I think where this makes an interesting conversation from a, a DNI perspective is we are talking about high skilled jobs, right? Tech workers, engineers, doctors who've been educated overseas in very more socialized education systems, right? You go to university um, as a citizen for free or a very low cost. The, the, The countries invest much more heavily in the education of their children and their young adults. And companies have found themselves required to go out of the, outside of the United States to get that labor in an immediate fashion, right? And so- here we are saying we're going to slow this this down. And something that I've said for 10 years is that companies need to be investing in their own talent pool, right? If you don't have enough engineers for Cummins Engine Company, where I live, we have a huge H-1B uh, visa allotment. I have lots of friends that are from other other countries on those visas. But Cummins is not making any any investment in the students or the young people in Columbus, Indiana or surrounding states to build up a core of engineers, to build that talent pool because they're taking all of that money that should be used to invest in a talent pool as a long-term strategy and giving it back to their shareholders. And that right now, right, this is the opportunity to say there's an awakening in America to the value of diversity, there's a lot of diversity underneath our noses in corporate America that we're ignoring because we don't want to invest in a, in a workforce of the future. We don't want to put that money. I've had so many corporate America, you know, kind of C-suite people say, well, the government needs to do that. The government, you're not even paying taxes as a corporation for the most part, right? And you then you want to bring your talent in from outside the United States. And so it's, and I, and I, I, I absolutely believe in immigration. Like, let me say that. I don't want to sound anti-immigration because I am absolutely not. I am very pro-immigration, path to citizenship, the whole thing. But it yeah. also really frustrates me that this is the primary drive of, of the chamber is to keep foreign nationals coming in, um, taking very high paying skilled jobs instead of investing in very um, investing that in the United States and in our workforce. Yeah. And let me say that this is not across the board, but this, what I'm about to share happens far more than 
maybe many of you know. And and what that is, is that a lot of these organizations treat these high tech, white collar uh, professionals the same way that the migrant workers are treated in the fields, meaning in some and in too many instances, it is more than one person in, let's say, a hotel room. They don't have a home. They're living inside of a hotel room. They could be living inside of an apartment, but there are multiple people in that apartment. Why? Because they're not paying them the same rate that they would be paying an American. So, mm-hmm. you know, hypothetically, it could be $100 an hour that Torn is making. Somebody from one of these other countries might be making $80 an hour, $70 an hour. And as a result of that, and their obligation to send money back home, cost of living in the respective city where they are, uh, and maybe some other things that I just don't know about, they are being in some ways hoarded and treated the very same way that migrant workers are being treated in the field. That has to stop. And so like you, I am absolutely all for immigration. If it's genuine that we are putting the ban down because we are trying to protect the health and the welfare of individuals in these companies, in these communities. Uh, I guess I can get that. You know, I think we do need to get a handle on this. You know, at the time of this recording, you see the numbers are spiking in in, uh, Florida and in Texas as it relates to COVID-19. So I absolutely understand if it has something to do with health and welfare. Uh, But but the bottom line is we need to hold these organizations accountable and and I just feel like, you know, a person should be paid fairly. Bottom line, doesn't matter to me where you're coming from. They should be paid fairly. So for me, that's where I, I lean, uh, not so much so on the diversity piece, because that's important. But this is where the inclusion and the equity become uh, factors. This is where the belonging becomes a factor. So I think it's a great story. And I think it's something that we really should be looking at making sure organizations are being held accountable all the way around. Right. And I I think that, you know, going back to your Goldman story, this is an opportunity for the C-suite to say to our shareholders, right? I I own stocks, I own bonds, I want them to, to go up in price, but I also want to have a sustainable economy and a sustainable workforce system. And so I don't think that the administration is doing this with any sort of goodwill. I think that it is very um, anti-immigration, very much against people of of color, people coming from Asia, that kind of thing. But I also think that it's one of those moments of of reckoning where we have to say, C-suite, tell your shareholders that you're going to invest in your communities and that's going to give you diversity and lay out a pipeline that you're going to build that talent pool. And I'm talking about skilled workers, right? I'm not talking about, you know, entry level. I'm talking about skilled workers, invest in the education system and give back to the community that is supporting you financially from a tax perspective and and say it's okay for us to have a little bit less money in our earnings per share for the next six quarters because this is what we're going to do. And it's going to be companies like that that I hope Goldman rewards right? That they take that investment, that they take those companies public because it's really full circle to what you started the podcast with. No, I think you're absolutely right. And again, it's about the chorus of people making that that sound. It's about 
Goldman putting different people in the room, uh, even in their own organization. People like you, you know, people like you querying people like you. It's 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 the groundswell that that these organizations, I believe, will respond to. And 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 just as important as it is for our um, need to highlight the negative or the missteps, it's equally as important for us to make sure that we highlight and amplify when they do the right thing. And so I, I'm encouraged. You're absolutely right. It should be full circle. And I don't believe that it's going to come at a cost, so to speak. Short term, maybe. Long term, I think that more people win. And what's wrong with that? They do. Like yep. more people win. So I think it's a yep. real thing. Hey, so listen, uh, I want to make sure that we 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 direct you all's attention in the show note. Please make sure you listen and if you're in an organization where um, DNI has not necessarily been as important, uh, if you're in an organization where perhaps you are struggling with how to get started with DNI, maybe how to amplify one or two clicks, you want to just be a bit better, uh, click the link that we put in um, you know, the show notes. Kimberly and I are doing a, a webinar next Tuesday. And so you can you can sign up. I believe the cost is like 149 or something like that. Uh, I put in a, an adjusted cost code so you can get a discount. Uh, so if you just put in hashtag, hashtag Black Lives Matter, you'll be able to gain a discount and join Kimberly and I for 90 minutes. And we're going to rock and roll and, and, and then share with everybody else. You know, uh, there's a lot of people saying they need help. So it's an opportunity for you to get some help and invest in yourself and you know, keep pushing forward. You got any name drop? Um, so my name drop this week actually goes into my close. So my name drop is to the Chat and Cheese podcast, um, the Torn or the Torn Ellis. How about the James Ellis podcast? Um, Matt Alder and the famous James Stroud. And do you okay. know why they're my name drop this week? Nope. Because you and I will be joining the evergreen podcast family officially next month and we will be (laughs) we will be part of an amazing hr tech ta focused and now diversity and inclusion focused channel that is a part of or has all of those amazing voices as a part of this channel and i am so excited and and happy to be a part of this new family that uh, they're growing over at evergreen I like that. So you and I are on the same track, if you will, in terms of mentioning a lot of people. I won't single them out by by name, but let me just tell you, every single guest that I had on my show uh, for Career Mix over the month of June has been phenomenal. They had representation roots inside of Minneapolis, and they gave my audience, uh, you know, a firsthand look as to how things uh, had made them feel emotionally professionally. And so I appreciate individuals that were brave, bold, and willing to come and talk uh, emotionally and raw about, you know, events of the last couple of weeks. And so I thank each and every one of them, uh, you know, for for just contributing. And of course, I thank each and every one of our listeners here at Crazy and the King. Awesome. So I, I guess this puts another another week in the books, my friend. 
another week in the books. Look, we are we're plugging through, man. I think we are 18 months in. Uh, I like how we sound. You know, I like where we're going. I like how we are growing. We are absolutely doing some good things, and we got some stuff on the on the back burner that we're trying to bring to you all. So keep rooting for us. Keep praying with us. But for now, make sure you understand that we are out until we do our next segment. Um, when are we going to do that? Oh, we'll do it next Wednesday, even though it's Let's a holiday. Let's do it next week. Yeah, we'll yeah. still do it next Wednesday, all right? So all right. It's good. have an awesome rest of the week, each and every one of you. Catch me on SiriusXM Channel 126 Sundays, 1 p.m. And this Sunday, I'm actually going to end the month of June celebrating Pride Month. So make sure you tune in on Sunday, 1 o'clock, Sirius XM, Channel 126. For now, Julie and I are ghosts. See ya. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.